the Spinster Life Podcast. It's been raining in LA. I know, again, continuously. Uh, my dogs don't like it, not one goddamn bit. Rilo hates the rain so much that he won't even like go outside to pee during the rains. Piper did that this time around. Sophie, the blind scaredy dog, went out in the rain, no problem, peed, came right back in, seemed unfazed, and Piper was like, I'll wait, I'll hold it. It's like, she, it's like outside was like a bar bathroom. That being said, like, he's a boy, he can just lift his leg. It's not like, you know, I mean, Piper has to like, squat. I mean, it's so much, again... Females suffer. <laughs> she lifts her leg. Like, I don't. She lifts her she leg. She does? Like, yeah, she does. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. She's evolved. Yeah, she's a leg she's, lifter. She's like, why would I get my hoo-ha so close to the ground? That's gross. <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't. She would just, she's she would not just wrong. her leg. Because she's a yeah. boss. I am ashamed to say that even though it was raining, it wasn't raining loud enough. So I still had to turn on my rain app. I had to add some thunder and some lightning uh, crashes in there. I mean, it's just the natural thing doesn't do it for you anymore. It's essentially my equivalent of having like a porn addiction. I have like a natural sounds addiction. And I just, the real thing doesn't do it for me anymore. And you're just going to keep having to get like more and more extreme sounds. It's going to be a tsunami. It's going to be hurricane force winds. Um, I mean, you have a problem, Eva. We'll get you help. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. But it is it is nice when it rains in LA. It it smells fresh for, you know, four hours. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I have grass in my backyard and my front yard that that'll only stick around for the next couple months and it'll go around go back to looking like a, a wasteland. Yeah. Out of the, the Gobi Desert. You're not wasting water on watering the grass. No. No. You're not I Tom Selleck. Issue with that. What did Tom Selleck do? During the drought, when there were really severe yeah. water restrictions on watering your lawn, he wasted so much water. He was watering his massive lawn in Malibu or where the fuck he lives. And he got fined because, yeah, he was like yeah. the top the top water user in L.A. During a drought. I read that um, within like less than 10 years, India is going to be using 80% of its available water supply every single year. Like they're running out of water. Like they did in uh, South Africa. Oh, did they run out of water in South Africa? Um, yeah, like a couple years ago, there was a drought there, and uh, people had to like line up for water. You couldn't use your toilet. You got oh just God. like a jug. You had to stand in line, and you got a jug of water. Oh, my God. Yeah, so India. Oh, and the second place was, um, yeah, in the Middle East around the Euphrates River. Like, it's also just like drying up. Essentially, it's like looking like the LA River, which is only a river like one day a year. <laughs> what the water wars are coming, and that's a good segue actually into Octavia because um, she did predict a lot of the current predicaments that we're in politically, uh, climate-wise. In addition to like her insane work ethic slash devotion to her craft slash discipline, you're writing about these things that are not happy things. These are things that are literally existentially devastating. How did she not get super depressed? How is she writing about tyrants and dictators and climate issues and all these things that are just, it's crazy. That she didn't get depressed? Yeah, I guess I never thought of it that way. Because, you know, she's she's out there doing her thing. She's she's yeah. writing. She is like introducing these big ideas. She's maybe I'm um, projecting. I'm just <laughs> I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think I could write about that stuff either. And not want to jump off a cliff. 
coming from Pasadena, it's odd to me that she, because Pasadena is so gorgeous, like, it's just odd to me that she came up with all this, like, really dark shit (laughs) when uh, she's living in this, like, pseudo-utopia. I mean, she yeah, she didn't write romance novels where there's always a happy ending. She wrote right. She wrote commentary. She wrote analysis. She wrote uh, she wrote about real shit. She wasn't she wasn't writing about you know Amish love uh, over the butter churn. So let's get into it. I find her so interesting. She's, yeah, I think we could learn a lot from her. So yeah, let's learn a little bit more about her. Let's do it. This spinster wrote visionary stories that are eerily prescient. In fact, she originated the slogan, Make America Great Again. A visionary whose work predicted the current political and environmental climate. A shy hermit who captured the human condition through characters from another planet. A dedicated writer who worked tirelessly to perfect her craft. Our spinster this month is renowned science fiction author Octavia E. Butler. Octavia Estelle Butler was born in Pasadena, California on June 22, 1947. She's on the cusp of Gemini cancer, the cusp of magic, as it is sometimes called. She was the only child of Lloris and Octavia Margaret Guy Butler. Octavia Sr. was a maid in the households of upper-class families in Pasadena, and Lloris was a shoeshine man who unfortunately died when Octavia Jr. was just seven years old. From then on, Octavia Jr., or Junie, short for Junior, was raised by her mother and maternal grandmother. Octavia Sr. would take books the family she worked for were going to throw out and took them home for Junie to read. School was difficult for Octavia. She was shy, teased by her classmates about her appearance. She was six feet tall by the time she was a teenager, while teachers assumed she was slow because of her shyness and because Octavia also had mild dyslexia. The library was one of Octavia's refuges. She started reading fairy tales and horse stories, eventually discovering science fiction. She wasn't content just to read. At the age of 10, she asked her mother for a typewriter, which she received. Pasadena played a part in shaping Octavia's outlook on life, race, and status. In her lifetime, she saw Pasadena become both a more diverse place and a more conservative, racist place. The black population of the city increased, but red line policies kept the city segregated. Octavia's first step into secondary education was her associate's degree at Pasadena City College. You might have an image of community college as an inferior place to get an education, but PCC is one of the best community colleges in the country. And it gave Octavia a place to express her talent. She won a college-wide writing contest and won $15. College also exposed her to the Black Power Movement. The Clarion Workshop is a six-week workshop for science fiction writers. Not just a workshop, the workshop for aspiring science fiction writers. And in 1970, Octavia attended. Octavia once said of workshops, quote, A workshop is a way of renting an audience and making sure you're communicating what you think you're communicating. It's so easy as a young writer to think you've been very clear when in fact you haven't, end quote. Octavia Sr. had always been supportive of Octavia, getting her reading material, buying her a typewriter... And as Octavia's writing talents grew, Octavia Sr. continued her support. She paid for Octavia to attend the Clarion Workshop and to have an agent review Octavia's work. Octavia spent the next decade of her life dedicating herself to her writing. She took mindless, menial jobs, including washing dishes, telemarketing, and as a potato chip inspector. This schedule allowed her to conserve her creative energy for her writing. Every morning, she would get up at 3 a.m. to write. What about the work itself? I think Octavia would frown at any discussion of her life that didn't include her life's passion, her writing. She was a straightforward writer. She was much more concerned with being clear with her words and writing stories that made people think hard and feel deeply than with a clever turn of phrase. She faced rejection, but kept working. 
Not being a writer just wasn't an option for her. In an interview, she once said, quote, I could either be a writer or I could die really young, end quote. So she kept inspecting potato chips until the publication of her first novel in 1976, Pattern Master. It was the first in a six-novel series called the Patternist series. With the publication of her standalone novel Kindred in 1979, she was finally able to support herself full-time with the writing. Octavia once said of science fiction, quote, I was attracted to science fiction because it was so wide open. I was able to do anything, and there were no walls to hem you in. There was no human condition that you were stopped from examining, end quote. She's most associated with the genre science fiction, but I think her work transcends that label. Her work is speculative fiction, writing about a world that could be, or a world that's coming. Her work approached race, class, and gender thoughtfully. Octavia is credited as one of the first writers working in the genre, Afrofuturism, a celebration of black culture that looks towards the future and examines the intersection of race and technology. There are many scholars that can address the full, deeper meaning of her work. We'll link to some of those scholars in the show notes below so you can continue learning about Octavia's work. Her protagonists were often minority outsiders who could adapt and thrive and often form new societies. Her novel Parable of the Sower parallels our current reality. I'm going to read this article. It sums up the plot of the book better than I ever could. This article was in The New Yorker, and it is by Abby Aguirre. Octavia Butler's 10th novel, Parable of the Sower, which was published in 1993, opens in Los Angeles in 2024. Global warming has brought drought and rising seawater. The middle class and working poor live in gated neighborhoods where they fend off the homeless with guns and walls. Fresh water is scarce, as valuable as money. Pharmaceutical companies have created smart drugs which boost mental performance. And pyro, a pill that gives those who take it sexual pleasure from arson. Fires are common. Police services are expensive, though few people trust the police. Public schools are being privatized, as are whole towns. In this atmosphere, a presidential candidate named Christopher Donner is elected based on his promises to dismantle government programs and bring back jobs. So that's the end of the article. And just to be clear, Christopher Donner is the candidate that uses the campaign slogan, Make America Great Again, and also uses the media heavily in his campaign. Octavia won numerous awards, including the Hugo, the Nebula, and she was the first science fiction writer ever to win a MacArthur Genius Grant. Despite the critical acclaim and financial success of her work, writer's block and depression plagued Octavia the last years of her life. She died of what was most likely a stroke at the age of 58. She was far too young when she died, but her legacy lives on through scholarships in her name, including a full scholarship for a writer of color to attend the Clarion Workshop. If you're ever in L.A., you can visit the Octavia Lab at the Los Angeles Public Library. There you can access technology like 3D printers, laser cutters, and green screens. Most notably, she donated her notes to the Huntington Library in the Pasadena area. Her notes are among the most accessed materials in the library. Her amazing notes show her passion, dedication, and confidence in her writing. They also offer advice for anyone who wants to start writing, and general life advice. In this quote, Octavia perfectly sums herself up. I'm comfortably asocial, a hermit in the middle of a large city, a pessimist if I'm not careful, a feminist a black, a former Baptist, an oil-and-water combination of ambition, laziness, insecurity, certainty, and drive. That's our spinster of the month, Octavia E. Butler. An oil-and-water combination of ambition, laziness, insecurity, certainty, and drive. I relate to this so much. I used to have more of the former when I was younger, you know, the ambition. 
and the insecurity. And now as I get older, I'm definitely lazier, uh, but have a little more certainty about things. But it's just, she knows herself well. And I think to be a great writer, you really have to know and understand yourself, you know? So I think she can understand herself because she was an only child. I could relate to that. I'm an only child. You have a lot of time to yourself. Yeah. I mean, and her being a hermit too. Right. Exactly. You're someone who's very comfortable being by yourself for long periods oh, yeah. of time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Maybe not even comfortable, maybe like who who revels. <laughs> yes, that is the word. I do. I revel in being alone. And I'm sure Octavia did too. Even though like, you know, she had her mother and her grandma around. These are hardworking women and they're probably working a lot. You're a housekeeper or something. You work very long hours, you know? Right. She's not putting in nine to five. She's working overtime. She's probably working from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah, exactly. So she probably had a lot of time to herself. And so on top of being an only child, she doesn't have adults around her all that much either. You know, she's just kind of left to her own devices, probably had to grow up fast and be responsible at a very young age. She's a latchkey kid. She's probably one of like the original latchkey kids. Oh, for sure. She's growing up in the 50s and the 60s. Pasadena has always been a relatively like very safe community, you know, that's also the time when kids just like wandered around by themselves and right. walk themselves to school and walk themselves to the library. I wonder where in Pasadena she lived. Like, I, I'm going to be interested into, I'm going to dig into that a little later. Um, Pasadena is kind of interesting in that it is a little segregated. That is really interesting because there was some mention of, of redlining. So those policies that kept people of color mm. from, from buying homes in white neighborhoods. So it is interesting that you can still see the effect. Yeah. Of, of redlining. But it's so interesting that like Octavia is coming out of here and she's coming from a different a different part of Pasadena life, right? The amount of wealth that she was growing up around but was not a part of is crazy. Pasadena is really one of the most well-funded cities. And the Pasadena Public Library, which is not, again, like a massive city, is grand as hell. It's like columns and it's Spanish tile on the roof. Like it is gorgeous. So that's also very interesting, like that she got to experience that. I mean, to grow up in a city like Pasadena, where she had access to this type of library is just incredible. I mean, I have a lot of love in my heart for Pasadena. It's also just one of those places where if you didn't grow up with money, and then you're exposed to it, you're like, oh, is this how the other side lives? You know, like every hedge is perfectly trimmed every, you know, it's not like walking in LA where you're going to like be walking your dog and trip over like the huge crevasse in the sidewalk and break your face. Like everything is perfect there. (laughs) Like it's so nice. Um, So it's, um, it's just really interesting that that's where she's from. You know, you don't think like, black female sci-fi writer when you think Pasadena, you know, you think old men wearing bow ties, like novelty silk bow ties when you think Pasadena. Right. And I I think that, um, like, she found that out later in life that, like, um, you know, she felt like she didn't belong there when she was growing up there. And then she moved to LA and she was like, oh, this isn't as great. And then no. she did move back to Pasadena or near <laughs> Pasadena somewhere. Yeah. She was like, okay, I belong here. Like, I did. I do belong here. This is my home. Also, I'm just rambling about Pasadena because I love it and I want to move back. <laughs> well, <laughs> your house there was nice. I left your uh, house there. Yeah. It was a great little house. 
you lived in Pasadena for what three years? Well, like five years. Like five, like five years? years? Was it? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it just has a taste level that's also very different than a lot of other places that I've been in Southern California. It is very old school in that it still kind of has like a '50s feel. It's a family community. People care a lot about, I think, a, a different kind of keeping up with the Joneses. You know what I mean? Like, like the competitiveness isn't in like the things that you currently have. It's like how far does your money go back? It is. It's a. It's that's a good point. It's very much. It's very much so more of an old money place. It's old Spanish tile and it's columns and it's expertly placed palm trees and tropical plants and uh, it's very green and very lush. It's just got a different feel to it. It's a very specific kind of place, you know. Um, so yeah, I did. Then- I did live there for like five years, um, and. I'll move back there as soon as I sell five or seven screenplays for a couple million dollars a piece. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that Octavia's notes stayed in that area because she donated them to the um, Huntington Library. Yeah, I mean, she's still part of Pasadena. And I think right. that's important, you know, for her to remain in Pasadena or even return to Pasadena and to give her all of her, her notes and her writings into the Huntington Library. You know, it's kind of like she was making sure that she's remained part of its history. Octavia came from this very beautiful, idyllic place, but she ended up writing about dystopian nightmare scenarios. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about that, because there's some crazy shit that she... Uh, I don't think she set out to predict it, but she did predict it. I mean, this MAGA stuff, this Make America Great Again stuff, it's like jaw-dropping to me. And it's crazy to me that this hasn't been a documentary on Netflix yet. Like, I really don't think it can just be coincidental that she kind of predicted this through her writing and coined this term, Make America Great Again. And then, like, Trump just pulls it out of the ether. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And he happens to be that exact same kind of politician as the character in the book. Like, he uses the media in order to launch his campaign. He's not about substance. He's just about the style of presenting it through the media, which is totally Trump. It almost feels like someone, I'm sure it was not him, him, you know, himself, but that someone in his circle essentially looked at this and was like, hmm, here's a good playbook. It can't be just a random coincidence. There's right. no way. It was stolen from her. This idea was lifted from her. It's interesting because we're talking the 90s, you know, like Trump in the 80s and the 90s was like the guy. So I I wonder if she ever thought. I mean, did you ever think that he wasn't gross? Like, I mean, I always thought he was gross. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, people who are older than us, who are like our parents age, they had a very different experience of Trump. I feel like our generation and people younger than us, we're more like, oh, there was this old guy, and then he, and then he got this show on NBC called The Apprentice. But, like, the people who are, like, generations older than us, they knew him as the money guy, the real estate guy of New York. I wonder if in her head she ever, like, made that connection, that the either just the type of person she wrote about would be, like, you know, a Donald Trump figure, or if she literally was, like, it could be Donald Trump. He's always been a media guy. Like, yeah. he is the king of self-promotion. This is a man who wanted to be famous. He didn't want to just be rich, you know, like he wanted to be known. 
he was someone who she would have seen fairly often, you know, in the media and in the press when, you know, she was going about, you know, writing and kind of having this idea. So I know I'm just like kind of imagining, you know, what her experience of him was, but they're in the, they're in the same world, you know, like they're living in the same world at the same time. And she's writing about this stuff and it's just like, I mean, it would just, it would just be all the more crazy if the person that she kind of was envisioning when she was writing this book was, you know, either Trump or someone who was just like him. I'm trying to think, like, who else this could possibly be that she would have modeled this character off if she did model this character off someone from real life and she just, you know, didn't in her own brain say, oh, like the... The, the media is one day going to be just idiots tweeting at each other. I don't know. She sort of foresaw the way that media was, was going and if it was changing even when she was researching and writing this book. She would have seen Trump use the media to just be flat out racist. He took out that large ad in the New York Times against the, the five young black teenagers who were accused of beating a woman. And then it turned out that the Central Park it was five. one white dude. The Central Park Five. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He took out a full page ad that said that they should get the death penalty because they oh were animals and monsters. So she's seeing this racism play out. And she definitely, you know, racism was a big part of um, the things that she addressed in her writing. Just to bring up again that she's living in Pasadena, a city that even today is super white. She's writing about class divides, which just like she's living that day to day. I feel like she's an example of how you can look at how all of these different things come into play in one's life. You know, your location, your upbringing, your race, your gender, your sex, what you're experiencing through media and through, you know, just like the times that you happen to happen to be alive in um, and how that all contributes to what she's writing about, what she's interested in. We haven't read a lot of her work because we're not sci-fi readers. I'm going to catch up on these books because she's a very good writer. I'm going to pick up at least one and give it a shot. I am not a sci-fi person. That being said, I mean, Margaret Atwood, like I'm a big Margaret Atwood fan. I mean, most of her stuff is not dystopian, but like Handmaid's Tale happens to be. So, I mean, I think it's also about opening up what I'm consuming and like, also, like, she's a black female writer who was hev- heavily, um... Yeah, she was, like, leading this male-dominated space. Right, exactly. And it's just, like, knowing more about her as a person makes me more interested in reading her, you know? Yeah. And I think we we can all read more black women. We can all read more more women of color, you know? It's like... Absolutely. I, for anyone who's listening out there, like, pick up a book of Octavia's. See how she deals with... Um, class and gender and, and all of these kind of hierarchical ways that society functions because she she addressed all of them at some point in her writing. Yeah, I mean, it's just a point of view that that needs to be heard. She's someone I can learn from. She's someone that I can I can read and have a new perspective, you know, which is especially like coming from a fiction standpoint, you know, a lot of the time, I feel for myself when I'm trying to read things that give a different perspective. A lot of time they're nonfiction. Fiction really gives you a chance, I think, to to kind of click in in a way that you can't with something that's nonfiction, you know, because yeah. you're able to, obviously, it's like your imagination kind of 
gets in the way of, of everything where you're saying, oh, I can't relate to this because this isn't my experience. Instead, you're able to really get there a little faster and a little deeper because, you know, you're dealing in a fictional world. I think that's what's so brilliant about her writing is that it works on so many levels. Like she's just a good writer who tells a good story. So even if you're not reading into the themes in her work, you still get something out of it. You're still living, you know, living this uh really heartfelt story along with her but you can dive deeper and you can explore all of you know the meaning behind her work so you read kindred i read um, kindred yeah what were, what was your experience there kindred is a hard read i'm not gonna lie because there's so much horrific violence the story was really compelling this one is about a woman who travels back in time to 1830s in the south on a plantation and she has to keep saving one of her distant ancestor. She is coming from a world where she is free. She's married to a white man. So she's thrust into this world where her race is now a liability. She she can't control when she's uh, traveling through time. It just seems to be controlled by um, emotion more than anything. So she's often stuck. There's a couple passages where she's stuck like, uh, I don't know, like a, a year, six months, a year. She's stuck for a really long time. And she can't get out because she can't escape because she's a black person she's she would be yeah. identified as a slave there would be people that were out looking for any black people that were unaccompanied on any road like she couldn't get out of the situation except for time traveling and she has to live through all of you know like what it was like to be a slave and it was brutal she doesn't shy away from the brutality of it I actually find that like horrifying in a good way because I feel that what that what that's saying is you know how can I get into the head of my female ancestors and what it was really like like how do I go back to the worst nightmare that I could go back to I mean that's really courageous you know how certain actors they really get intensely into their roles these method actors who just become whatever it is and they kind of like destroys their psyche you know what I mean because you're going so deeply into this character you know and I think for a writer to really write character well they have to go into that character you know and so for um, a black woman in 1978 to like go back into being a slave and be you know like seeing herself in this character like that that isn't something that's like you wake up every morning with like, oh, you know, it'd be pleasant to do today. Like, I'll just go back to this um, horrific time and kind of see what would it be like if I was stuck? I mean, that's suffering. <laughs> like That is really yeah. suffering yeah. for your work, you know, so she could give it perspective and write about it in a way that like people could really see, like see the violence, see the suffering, see the the lack of power to not have the autonomy over one's life. That's ballsy. She is just a good writer. It doesn't matter what genre you like. You will, if you like reading thoughtful stories, you will probably enjoy reading Octavia's work. And, I, you know, I think the, the biggest thing with her writing was her discipline. And that What's is that? something, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep, I, I had this similar any. question. Like, I have what? none of that. How do you, she like the ass in the chair thing. She just put her ass in the chair every morning and did it. She just wrote. It didn't matter how she felt. Did she feel like it? Probably not some mornings, but did she do it? Yes. You know, I just bought a milk frother on Amazon (laughs) because I have convinced myself that if I make my 
my own latte at home in the morning that I will put my ass in the chair and I will write. I'm pretty sure Amazon has made about $5 million off of me and my false beliefs. <laughs> There's something that can make me do it. Um, that is not just doing it. Yeah, same. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe my milk much- frother will save me. <laughs> I don't know how much money I've spent. I had a co-working space for a while and I was like, this is the secret to my productivity is to go somewhere this else. This is the secret. Write. Hey, don't knock it though. But the one thing COVID has taken away from me that I miss more than everything is going to my coffee shop where I can go and I can plug in my computer and I can work and write and, you know, feel like I was productive. I, yeah. I really do miss that. Yeah, a bummer. I didn't do it that often, but I miss having the option. I think we, uh, think we all could learn something from Octavia. We haven't even talked about the potato chip inspector job yet, have we? Oh no, I love this about her. You know how you hear sometimes, like, oh, if you want to be a writer, like, you should just get some like mindless job where you're something where you can just leave your job at at your job when you go home, you know, or something that doesn't take every ounce of like your it mental, spiritual, right. and physical take energy out of you. Yeah, it doesn't take the creative part of your brain. It takes maybe other kinds of energy from you, but you still have at least like that creative energy left to create. You're not using it to make work for other people. But like potato chip inspector, like that's got to be like, you know, that's pretty high on that list. Yeah. (laughs) Options. That's That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know it was a job. But Amy, who would inspect the potato chips? You know what? I uh, Oh my God, my ass would get so much fatter if I was a potato chip inspector. Because I would just be like, this one's bad, crunch. This one's bad, crunch. <laughs> you'd, be, um, you'd be like Lucy on the chocolate line with Ethel. You'd be stuffing potato chips down your bra and in your hats. And... Oh, completely. I mean, who wants to waste a potato chip? I mean, right? I think Octavia was fine wasting the potato chip because she was just like, when can I get back to work, though? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. She she died kind of early, though, right? Like, she, she died did, pretty young. She did die pretty young. She's only 58 when she died. Um, and it, it wasn't, you know, it maybe didn't need to happen. Like, she wasn't terminally ill. She just um, was taking some medication. It might have caused a stroke. I don't know if that's, you know, like, her official cause of death. But she died. She died way too young. But to have accomplished what she did, I mean. Yeah. By the age of 58 for being, and I say this for being just because of like the obstacles that were in her way systemically, like for being a woman, for being a woman of color. She yeah. just did it. Yeah. Even if she had that that self-doubt, um, it, it didn't hold her back. And we haven't discussed her notes either because her notes are amazing. They are not wishy-washy at all. They are just like, you will create. You will be a bestseller. This is what you will do. I feel like like when the Huntington reopens, we need to take a field trip. Yes, we, we do. We go and look at them. Ooh. Because one, the Huntington is amazing. Yes. And it just makes me feel like I'm Alice in Wonderland. But um, but also just to, I mean, I'm such like a writer nerd that I feel like going and seeing these it'll like unlock something in my brain. I mean, I'm sure it won't, but at the same time, I kind of just like, okay, like she got it done. So it's kind of like, what is she saying to herself? You know? 
yeah, it'll at least be a pleasant afternoon. Um, yeah, yeah exactly. and I, I love that that exhibit was like, or those her notes are the most accessed things in the library. I love that. Too. That's so cool. Is it is it people like us that are going and they're like, yeah, I need I need this because I need to start writing. Let me Maybe. see that. Let me see the notes. We could make a whole day. We could make a whole Octavia day. We could go to the Octavia Lab at the Los Angeles Public Library in the branch that you love, and then we could go to. The Huntington Library, and we could look at Octavia's note and have tea. I and think have they tea. have like tea there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and actually, and before that, I will try to find out where in Pasadena she lived because yeah. Um, also, just like driving around Pasadena is life. It's amazing. Yeah, we should, we will make a, a day date out of it. Yeah, I love it. Can't wait. I mean, obviously, you can't wait until the COVID thing is over, but. <laughs> can't wait but i will but but also because i want to do a thing i am at that stage where i just want to get out of the house (laughs) like i just and i'm not that person like i'm completely comfortable not getting out of the house but i'm at that stage where i'm like i just want to do something anything i don't care (laughs) yes even a hermit like me and i do want to discuss the hermity spinsterness of it all because it is much harder to be a hermit when you uh, are in a relationship, you know, you have like barbecues and shit to go to, you have social engagements, you've got their family, you've got your family. But you know, if you're a spinster, that's one half of the equation that you don't have to deal with. And you can just hermit and write. You can just hermit and write. I think, hermit and write. you know, I mean, you could find another hermit, but then I think by default, you're no longer a hermit. Um, yeah. It takes a certain type of person to be able to do that. You know what I mean? To to be fulfilled in your life by being alone and by, you know, hermit crabbing your life. We're both introverts at heart. I think you much more so than I, mm, but still mm-hmm. like, yeah, I win that day, one. We're both, we're, we're both um, pretty introverted, but at the same time, like, I don't like living completely alone. You know what I mean? I just no. like the noise no, of I someone don't. else. I don't. Well, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you really like living alone. I really I'm love it. Too, I'm too afraid to live by myself. And in this whole like writer's life, I mean, she she lived like writer's life with a capital W, like writer's yeah. life, you know. Yeah. Um, because it was the only thing that she was going to let herself be. There wasn't another, there wasn't an escape yeah. option. It was writer or nothing. No in between. No gray area there. Just writer or dead. There's a difference between wanting to be someone who has sold a lot of books or who is has name recognition or is famous or whatever for writing and someone who wants to wants to write the act of writing you know and she really seems like someone who wanted to write she had something to say she had things that she wanted to explore and i think the um, the 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 impetus behind wanting to uh, sell books because that was in her notes of like i'm going to sell this many books wasn't just because she wanted like she wanted a lot of money. She just wanted enough money to support herself with just writing. She didn't want to inspect another goddamn potato chip. <laughs> no more potato chips. No more potato chips. Yeah. Only writing. Um, so, yeah, it was. I think it was pretty pure, her love for her writing. Her writing was the love of her life. Very inspirational. Such a role model. Yeah. She really is. So the next time you want to slack off, know that Octavia is watching and not approving. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I wonder what it would have been like. You know, I know she taught. I wonder what it would have been like to take a class from her. That would be cool. Oh, yeah. Because she did. She taught at a lot of, of workshops and um, 
spread her Octavianess around to a lot of up and coming writers. So yeah, I think we definitely missed out on that. Maybe we can find like a video online or something. Yeah, there's got to be something. Got to be something. She was the '90s? You know, someone yeah. camcorded the shit out of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not going to be a good not a verb. video, but it you know it'll get the yeah. point across. Yeah, exactly. I'm just interested in seeing kind of like her mannerisms and hearing her voice, seeing how she moved. And like as someone who's a hermit and like an introvert, some people still do assume that if you're that type of person, that maybe you're like soft spoken or shy. I don't get that vibe at all from her. Yeah, I will link to a few interviews in the show notes. She has a like a, a very deep presence, a deep voice. She's just got this commanding, powerful voice, very direct in her speech. I don't think she talked with her hands a lot, if I'm remembering mm. correctly. She didn't need to put a flourish on it. What she said was important enough, and she knew that. And she didn't have to wave her hands around to get the point across. <laughs> fair. Fair. For anyone interested, there's a lot out there on Octavia. We'll link to everything that we can. Just shouting out another podcast. One of the ones that you mentioned and that will be in the show notes is called Octavia's Parables. Um, so, you know, yeah, the podcast going. Yeah. yeah, keep it going. Keep listening. Keep learning. Keep reading. Keep reading Octavia. Keep reading other women of color or watching their movies. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there are even that many women sci-fi writers. So like, she just she just ticks so many boxes in in terms of like ways to broaden your horizons, people. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm so glad that she was a spinster because then we got to talk about her. She's someone that I didn't know hardly anything about. So this yeah. is um, it's been good. This has been great. Um, yeah. So that's Octavia. You know what we do next, Amy. I, I know what we do next. We've talked about Octavia for a while. So we're going to talk about us. Of course. Because we're, we're attention hogs. <laughs> um, you know, I have to ask the question, Eva, why aren't yes, you married? Amy. Oh, why aren't I married? You know, I think one of the reasons is... I've always felt like my greater commitment or my greater purpose for me has not included marriage and children. It doesn't mean that I won't ever do those things. It, it's just, I mean, it, it might because I'm getting old. But um, but also just for me, it's important that, that I am, I'm productive and that I contribute in a way that is related to like creativity. I wish I was more like Octavia in that way where, you know, writing was the love of her life and she was so dedicated and so driven. And I wish I had a little more of that, but I have enough of it that it really is, you know, still the driving force in my life. You know, it, writing is still the thing that I most think about, the thing that make, makes me feel most guilty, the thing that makes me most happy, the thing that makes me most sad. <laughs> and I've been in relationships before where, that can be hard for a partner, you know, unless, unless they're kind of the same type of person. I don't know, maybe I just date needy people. Maybe I'm just someone who is not um, very good at um, giving up my time, you know, because when I look at my time, I look at it as time I'm writing or time I'm not writing, you know, unfortunately, this year, it's mostly been time I'm not writing. But the time I'm not writing, I'm usually thinking about how I'm not writing and feeling bad. So I should get some points for that. <laughs> um, maybe. But maybe. yeah, I mean, it, it it is that thing where 
you know, once you're married and especially once you have children, your priorities shift. And I just have never been interested in shifting my priorities um, until and unless, you know, I find someone who can kind of work with that, um, then, you know, single I shall be. And single Amy, life for me. The single <laughs> life for me. And Amy, um, which, by the way, they're doing a live action Pinocchio, which I'm like so worried about. Yeah. Because <laughs> um... <laughs> like, isn't that song from that? Oh, yeah, it is. That's it. Yeah. You got there faster than I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you were like singing it. it, but yeah, it's from Pinocchio. Yeah. But yeah, they're doing a live action Pinocchio. It's just, I'm already terrified. Yep. I'm like, yep. is it going to be like as bad as cats? Like, what, <laughs> what are we looking at? Uh, um, yeah, puppets are already creepy. They don't. Yeah, exactly. Just like we, we already, we're good. Um, so Amy, why aren't you married? Um, you know what? I'm going to piggyback off of what you said. Just, I ain't got time for that. When I think about all of the time and energy that I used to dedicate to being on the app, taking pictures for the app. You did that with me a bunch of times. You took a bunch of pictures of me yeah. to put on dating apps, putting on makeup, getting ready, going on dates, getting shit-faced, recovering from being shit-faced, um, <laughs> spending time with dumb guys that I regret immensely. Like, I just ain't got time for that. This year, I've been, you know, doing a lot more of my own projects, and it feels real, real, real good. Like, I don't ever remember feeling this good when I was dating. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I just, I ain't got time for that. Just, like, hanging out with a guy you're dating casually, right? It's still, like, a process. Right. It's still time that you have to invest. Getting ready is, like, an hour and a half ordeal, you know? Whereas if I was just staying at home, that would be cut out. Yeah, none of that would happen. None of that would have to happen. But, you know, and again, that might just all be like societal pressures that I've internalized, but it is a lot of work. Yeah. It's just a lot. Yeah, of work. and I think like, yeah, if it's someone that you really like and you really want a future with, it's it's worth the time investment, but you can also still be aware of the time that you're putting in and Yeah. And and you know, kind of want to do other things. Like I I think that's, you know, a fair way to feel. I mean, it's just the time investment in general. Yeah. And if then if you're living with someone, it's just like, well, then it's like, what are we going to eat? And like, whereas like, if it's me, I'm like, I don't know, I'm going to eat this cold chicken and I'm fine with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to eat some crackers over the sink and I'm fine with that. Yeah, exactly. And then you you don't even have to clean. See, you're like, you're already being efficient about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I hear you. We've, um, we've made our choices and, uh. I don't think we've made the worst choices. No, I'm relatively happy. I mean, I do question all of my life choices every second of every day, but I'm still relatively okay. Yeah, I like to describe it as I'm not the most miserable that I've ever been in my life. Yes, and that's exactly, you know. And that's all you can ask of me. That's all you can ask of me also. I mean, and you know, that's probably another reason that we're not married is um, because of our, our attitudes are just too fucking cheerful. We're just too cheerful. We put people off with their cheerfulness. Oh, God. <laughs> the joy I exude. The joy I exude. Yes. And speaking of some of the things that I've been working on, uh, I have some announcements of things that I want to do with the podcast. Two things, actually. So first, um, a dating challenge. Not that I am dating right now, but when I was dating, there were so many pieces of dating advice that I thought 
were like gospel. And I look at them now and I'm like, no, I don't think any of that's right. So I want to do a social media challenge where we put up a piece of standard dating advice and we challenge that. We describe how that's wrong and what we're going to do to dismantle that oppressive piece of advice. And I love that. I mean, I feel like I have those same things in my head. And then every time I like abide by one of them, I'm constantly questioning it. But I'm also too fearful to like not abide by it. Yeah. (laughs) Right? It's kind of... What's the worst thing that's going to happen if we don't... Like if we do talk about politics on the first date? Like what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. It kind of gets in your head. You're like... There shouldn't be a game. I shouldn't be playing the game, the game of like, what are all these rules and do they actually matter? And, yeah. you know, like all these things. What if, if I don't follow them, then this person is, is not going to have any interest in me whatsoever. So it's, it's very fear-based. Yeah. I'm just interested to see like what people out there think of them. I feel like we just kind of accept them and don't necessarily talk about them that much. It's a, ti- it's a tire fire out there, people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll be on Instagram talking about this here and there and everywhere. We will be launching a spinster book club later in the year. Um, still working out the exact logistics of um, how and when this will happen. But each month we will read a book about a spinster, by a spinster, uh, you know, just even women's history, gender roles, things like that. Things that affect women. Things affect a woman. They're going to affect a single woman as well, most likely. So um, yeah, we will uh, announce that as well when we pick the first book and we'll tell you how to sign up for the discussion. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll actually read some of the copious amount of books that I've purchased (laughs) over the last, well, what what month are we in? We're in January, like nine or 10 months. Um, (laughs) Yeah, all of my... I had so many hopes and dreams when it came to reading. <laughs> it just has <laughs> not panned out. You know. Uh, make me make me read a book, Amy. Make uh, me do it. I'll be, yeah, I will make you read a book. I will, and it will be All a right. good book and, and you will get something out of it. All right. Um so yeah, that's um those are my announcements. Looking forward to it. We have come to the end of our time together today. You sound like Mr. Rogers. That's great. I want to sound like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> As you should. Um, <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? You guys know to follow us on social media at Spinster, at Spinster Life Podcast and go to our website, spinsterlife.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and hear about new episodes. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.